You can head to theblaze.com for more top stories. I'm Hillary. That is your four-minute buzz. And now here's Glenn and Stu at the start of our show. Good morning. Good morning, Hillary. Thank you for uh, bringing us to the program today. We have Home Title Lock is our sponsor. Here, uh, you know, the, one of the largest real estate uh, title companies suffered a big breach. She has 900 million files. That's no big deal. I mean, it's only 900 million. Yeah, it's only three times the population of the United States. Well, it could be more than one document per person. Yeah, it could be. So, could be. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you think that's a problem, what you really need is Home Title Lock. Home Title Lock is the only people that are actually uh, looking to protect your title. They're the only ones that can do this. They actually stand at the digital gates or the digital vault, and any title that is being changed. Like 95% of them have to go in and out of this vault door, and that's where they're positioned. So once you're a client of theirs, anybody trying to change anything on your title, they immediately notify you and say, did you, are you changing this title? If you say no, they're on it. This is really critical. FBI says this is the fastest growing crime in Manhattan. It's an epidemic is what they say in Manhattan. Go to uh, HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Get 60 days risk-free protection. HomeTitleLock.com. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. Since when is the word racist just totally cool to throw around? Totally cool to deem someone a racist without without any hesitation. Because I, I remember a time when calling a president a racist was a bad thing. Now they have officially sanctioned the president in the House for being a racist. Let's back up here just a bit. I think we need to talk about a few things before we go any further. We start there in one minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So I'm a big fan of the things that, you know, stand the test of time. Things that are so well made, something that is just will always be American and last. Things that never go out of fashion and last forever. And that's why I want to talk to you about Tecovis. Tecovis is a company that has seen the, quite honestly, the demise of the Western boot or the cowboy boot uh, to where it has been either just a really crappy knockoff or something so expensive nobody can afford them. You know, $10,000 boots. They're ridiculous. So all of these Western boots are handmade by some of the best boot makers with the traditional uh, styles that have outlasted all of the fads. They are built to last using only the best materials, lizard, alligator, ostrich, some of the most exotic leathers, no shortcuts. They're comfortable right out of the box. Now, here's the thing. They're about half the price of similar boots, or let me say it this way. They're twice the quality of a similarly priced boot. That makes a difference. You want something that lasts. You want something that is the traditional style. You want something that's really, really great. 200 steps to make this, all hand-stitched. You are not going to believe the price. Ordering now is risk-free. They have free shipping and free returns. They have an easy and accurate process. But, you know, even if you err on this or they make a mistake, whatever, you just return it, no questions asked. Order your real, true Western-style boots, ones that you can wear out on the ranch or you can wear it with a suit. It's Tecovis, 
T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash Beck. Tecovis dot com slash Beck. Go there now. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash Beck. So the GOP... Uh, now, apparently, just is trying to elevate AOC and make her into the face of the party. Mm, well, sure. OK, maybe. Uh, but I think it's really just a, a desire to make sure everybody knows who she is and know that the Democratic Party is in mortal combat with people who think like her. That's really what it is. She's the she is the the quintessential Take the mask off. I'm dying to tell you who I am. She is the she and her. What do they call it? The squad. She and her squad want you to know exactly what they want to do to this country. And what they want to do to this country is abandon the free market, reverse the Constitution, change us fundamentally. Now, I guess the GOP just wants to elevate AOC, and that's the only reason why Donald Trump tweeted, maybe you should leave. If you don't like it, leave. Well, that is, that's racist. That's racist, you know. Is it? Or is it possibly, A, the truth, and when I say the truth, meaning the way we the way we feel, you know, the way people we're so tired of being told that we are a bad place, that we're bad people, that white people are the problem. I'm so tired of it. You know what? If you don't like it, there are about one hundred and sixty nine other countries you could go to right now. That's that's not America. Well, we don't leave things that we love. That was the quote. We don't leave things that we love. Tell me what you love about it. I have not heard the things you love about it. It's not the Constitution. It's not the free market. It's not our history. Hell, it's not even half the people. Because half the people here are clearly racists. So what is it that you love? And by the way, Call me old-fashioned, but you don't fundamentally change the things you love. Oh, man, I bought this Picasso. I just love it. It's wonderful. I just want to put the nose where the nose belongs. You don't love the Picasso, dude. We are a different place. We have a different system. We work things out over time. It takes a long time to do it. But this country believes in the individual. And there's always a problem when somebody says, you know what? The individual doesn't really get it. That's when you have monsters like Andrew Jackson appear. That's when you have, quite frankly, monsters like FDR who rounded people up, put them in concentration camps, real ones, American citizens, 
that was your progressive president for you. Now, here's my real problem. My real problem is with the press. The press is has deemed Donald Trump's statements racist and deemed now him a racist. There is no, as they said, uh, you know, because uh, Donald Trump apparently thinks that some of the things the people in the squad have said were, quote, anti-Semitic or quote socialist what why the quotes why the quotes you don't want to claim what they're saying about jews are anti-semitic you can't read into their comments at all no you can't say when they say i'm a democratic socialist you can't say that they're socialists that's exactly what uh politico did they they actually said uh all uh after they described how he was very racist they said uh, by the way, none of the four lawmakers are socialists. Uh, yes, they, she's uh, like you can, all are saying that. Right. Why? Because she's a Democratic socialist, which is the difference between vanilla ice cream and chocolate chip ice cream. But they're both Jeez. ice cream. Oh, my right? gosh. Like, it is. It's it's absolutely incredible. And by the way, look up what Democratic socialists actually want. Don't look at it from a, a a somebody who is trying to cover it up. Go to the source, to the Democratic Socialists, and look at what they want. Now, Donald Trump is only saying this because uh, the GOP is 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 just quote wanting to describe these people as socialists. I'm so sick of this. This is why Donald Trump is going to actually gain points from this. And we can we can dance around the edges and go, well, should he have said it? Shouldn't he have said it? Mm. We could argue about that all day long. Why? I personally think this president, I, I don't, I just don't believe the guy who was hanging out with Jesse Jackson is a racist. I just don't believe the guy who lived in New York forever and got along with everybody, is a racist. Does he say stupid things? Yeah. Do I really think that he's a racist? No, I don't. Now, you might have a different opinion on that. You can make a case, but neither one of us know if it's true or not. You're reading into his motivation, right? Exactly right. And what I read into this is, shut up. That's what I read in, into his comments. Shut up. I am so sick and tired of you guys saying everything is bad in America. If you don't like it, leave. Now, I've never liked that. Because if you don't like everything in America, you don't have to like everything in America. But you're trying to fundamentally transform it. And you're using every single tactic. And you know what? If America cannot see who these people are once the masks come off, you're doomed, America. You're just doomed. Let let me play what I said. This is back in about 2009, 2008. When I was at Fox, this is what I said would happen. The radicals reveal themselves. They'll become unafraid. I told you this, and I believe I set this up with something along the lines of, look out. Because we'll be in trouble when the mask starts to come off. I told you about a year ago that as it would come unraveled, the radicals would start revealing themselves. Watch. 
I think these people are close. I think they're dying to tell us what the real agenda is. I think they're close to taking the mask off. Okay, got it? So what was that? Things are at the breaking point. Donald Trump has brought this to the breaking point. The Democratic Party is at the breaking point. And it's going to be decided in the next year whether or not they become all radicals or the the average Democrat still has a party to go to. They're saying that Donald Trump is building unity uh, with Nancy Pelosi and unity against Trump. Well, I, I have to tell you, I think it works both ways. I think he's also building unity for Trump, for himself. They are socialists. I believe, based on their anti-Semitic uh, remarks, they are also anti-Semites. Based on all of their quotes about white people, I believe they are also racists. But I don't know. But I do know they want to destroy the free market. They want to reverse the Bill of Rights and make it into a charter of negative liberties. I'm sorry, positive liberties. What the government must do. You don't change the things that you love. People are sick of this bizarro world that we're living in. People are sick of this world that the media claims not to see. This, this world where everything that you think you know or knew, let me put it this way, you might have heard this if you're a long-time listener, people are sick of a world where everything they thought was solid is liquid. Everything that it was up is down. They're sick of it, and they know it, and they know it. They took the masks off because they think they're in the majority, but I have news for them. They're not. Let me give you a flashback. We surround them. It's not the other way around. We surround them. They have just co-opted social media. They have co-opted the media giants and the new media giants. But they're not in the majority. The majority of Americans know free health care for all Illegal aliens is insane. People, people know instinctively that you may want more immigrants, less immigrants, whatever, but we need to know who's coming in. The vast majority of people know that. The vast majority of people do not dismiss MS-13. They don't look at these as good people or people who have just gone astray they know who MS at 13 is. And if, if they don't, all they have to do is to look at the local headlines of their paper. In L.A. today, 22 people are on trial from MS 13. Why are they on trial? Lots of reasons. Kind of the one that stands out is they were beheading people and hacking people to death with machetes. I don't know. That sounds like something maybe we don't want on the streets of America. Uh, and by the way, uh, it's not just me saying this. I'm going to pause for a minute. and I'm going to come back. I'm going to show you that Democrats are now saying this. I'll also show you that what the president said is 
is going to resonate with a lot of people. I don't like the way he said it, per se, but I got news for you. He's speaking what millions, millions of Americans are feeling. What this American is feeling. And it's going to work to his advantage. Because it's based in truth. Back in 60 seconds. Ah, back in the saddle again. Actually, not a saddle, because saddles really are uncomfortable. Back in the X chair. Uh, X chairs are just really, really great. They have the dynamic lumbar support, which is right here. And if you can hear, I can let me see if I can adjust it here. You hear the clicks. That puts it right into the back, right where you want it when you're sitting. Um, and they're great as just kind of kicking back. They're also... Did you not know about that adjustment? You did too know. many adjustments. I, there's there's I, ten adjustments. It, it does. It's always felt really comfortable, but yeah, there's a. You didn't know about that one? No. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's the best one. Yeah, I, yeah. You can feel. You could totally feel how it could totally change the way you right? sit in it, right? Because you can. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't learn quickly. That's not my thing. That that should tell you something. That Stu has loved this chair, yeah, I've never and the biggest selling point of this chair is the DVL, the dynamic lumbar support. I've heard you say that before, but again, I don't listen to you, so it's hard for me to process it when you say it. Like if I saw it on a commercial or something, then I'd be like, "Oh, I got to right. try that out." But yeah. since it's you saying it, I kind of just ignore it. I know that. I know that. So yeah, no, yeah, it's I great. know that. <laughs> it's a lot better, isn't yeah. it? Well, I mean, it was great before, but yeah, yeah. no, it's it's that's really nice. Yeah, anyway. It's snug. It's kind of snuggles your back a little bit. It does. It kind of you me. sit back in it now, and yeah. it's like, it's just, it's perfect. Yeah. And his adjustment in his chair will be different than mine. And like he just found out, it's really easy to adjust. It is a great chair. It's, can't believe you've been sitting in that chair, <laughs> and you didn't know that. Well, it might have just been set up right, right? I mean, it's... It's the uh, X chair. Go to xchairbeck.com, xchairbeck.com, or call 844-4X-CHAIR, 844-4X-CHAIR, or xchairbeck.com. You'll get $100 off, and if you use the promo code XWHEELS, you're going to get the new upgraded wheels on the bottom of the chair. It's xchairbeck.com. We break for 10 seconds. Station ID. All right, so let me give you let me give you a couple of stories here. Uh, the representative in Congress from Texas, Democrat, Democrat, responded to the threat of a primary from the four female progressive House members known as the Squad on Tuesday, and accused them of being socialists in disguise. There is no disguise. They're saying it. At least Ocasio-Cortez is, for yeah, sure. I, yes. I don't know that you know, Omar has said that. Maybe she has. We can look this up. And I don't know about the other two. But Ocasio-Cortez is, I mean, she ran her entire campaign as a Democratic Socialist. Yes. They're Justice Democrats. Huh. If you're part of the Justice Democrats, that's what you are, a Democratic Socialist. He said they're socialists and they want to impose their vision on Texas. And we certainly know Texas, our vision is very different from what these Justice Democrats really want they are socialists they're not really democrats 
So you have you have Democrats now starting to come out. That was just yesterday. You also have this support for the U.S. President Donald Trump increased slightly among Republicans after he lashed out on Twitter over the weekend in a racially charged attack on four minority Democratic Congresswomen. That's not the way America sees it. That's not the way America sees it. That's the way the press sees it. But just remember this. CNN and all of these people, they mean nothing anymore. The thing that means something is social media. That has real control. But the television and CNN and MSA, that doesn't mean anything anymore. National survey conducted on Monday and Tuesday after Trump told the lawmakers they should go back and help the totally fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came showed his approval among members of his Republican Party rose five percentage points to 72 percent. Now, I don't think that that is the line that made people go damn right. Go back and help the totally broken crime infested places from which you come. I don't think anybody that I know is comfortable with that statement from the president. I think that was a that was a statement that was just a lash out statement. And I don't know anybody who's comfortable with that. What they are comfortable with is if you don't like it, move. If you don't like it, if you want to fundamentally transform it and you believe that half of this country is racist well, then there's really no place. There's no place. Go find a happy place. Go live in Sweden that is totally not racist, yet filled with white people. I love the fact, I just love the fact that, oh, no, no, no. White people are racist. They are all racist. But we should be more like Sweden. Now, let me give you one more piece. If I have time, do I have time to play the CNN uh, video from Anderson Cooper. We don't have it here, so i i want to I want to play it uh, for you. We're going to have to come back and uh, play it for you after the bottom of the uh, hour. Uh, quickly, yeah. a quick update on this. So, on, on of the squad, which feels like a punch to my brain every time someone says it, the squad, yeah. uh, Ocasio Cortez and Rashida Tlaib are members of the Democratic Socialists. So they are absolutely. Uh, Ilan Omar, to my knowledge, has never said she is, but she's spoken to them and had issues, letters of you know support and statements of support from the DSA. Um, so, and Presley, I'm not 100% sure on. Yeah. But still, like at least two of these people have said themselves they're Democratic Socialists. Let me show you how Republicans are dealing with this and against the media next. Okay, we have a new sponsor today, MyPillow. My pillow, a good night's sleep is just around the corner. Now, I, I will tell you, I think I told you this on, on air uh, recently because I met Mike Lindell and he came in to meet with me, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I said to everybody in the, the yeah, the my, my pillow my, guy. My, my yeah, pillow, yeah. Okay. And uh, I said to everybody, because he sent me some pillows and stuff. And uh, I said, I can't tell him I like these pillows. I mean, it's not going to go well. And, uh, and he sat down and I said, he said, how, how did you like the pillow? And I said, you know, I really, and he stopped me right there and he said, you hate it, don't you? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. I don't see, I don't see the, he said, are you, do you have the blue label or the green label or the black label? And I said, I don't know. I didn't check the labels. He said, I think it was the green label, label you needed. I'm telling you, I don't ever fluff my pillow at night. I never have to kind of sock wow. it back into shape. 
it, there is a difference. There's a real difference. I went from not liking this pillow to I will travel with this pillow now. No kidding. It's MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com. Use promo code BECK. We have more on the biggest Obamacare lies as we go into the election and healthcare is a big issue. Go to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use promo code Glenn. Man, I'm really excited to welcome a brand new sponsor to the show, Tecovis. I know how ridiculous a great pair of boots can cost. Tecovis makes great boots and accessories. They sell their boots directly to the customer, so their boots are half the price of anything that's even similar in quality. They're all handmade with a 200-step process with only the best materials. Their entire line honors the timeless traditional boot styles. No silly stitching or sequins or loud colors or anything else. These are just great boots like my grandfather would have worn. With Tecovis, there's no need to break them in. They arrive already ready to be worn immediately comfortably. They're easy to order with tremendous customer service. Tecovis always has free shipping and free returns. Check out their boots and their clothing and accessories right now. Tecovis.com slash back. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash back. All righty. This is the Glenn Beck program. We welcome into the cave. Uh, we welcome uh, Mr. Pat Gray. Welcome. Thank you, Pat. Great to be here. Uh, all right. I want to go over something that I don't think worked out the way CNN thought it would. Uh, they get a bunch of women together, and they're women of different color, uh, and they're GOP voters, and they say, let's play some quotes here from uh, the president and see how racist he is, and what are your thoughts? Uh, let's see how that went. How many of you don't think what the president said was racist? Raise your hand. These eight Republican women from <laughs> Dallas don't see anything wrong with President Trump telling four Democratic Congresswomen to go back where they came from. He was saying that if they hate America so much because what we're seeing out of them and hearing out of them, they hate America. She looks Hispanic. If it's so bad, there's a lot of places they can go. I'm a brown-skinned woman. <laughs> I am a legal immigrant. I agree with him. You don't think that's racist to say no, that? Not at all. No. Actually, I think it's I, just... No. It's a demonstration of how their ideology spills over. Even though they're American now, so to speak, they're not acting American. They I'm glad that the president said what he said because all they're, they're doing is... It, they're they're it's they're inciting hatred and division, and that's not what our country's about. We, hmm. it, it's it's not about that at all. And but I don't. Isn't that what the president does with some about. of his own comments, his own racist but comments? But he didn't you, say anything about color. Me, we know the president is not racist. Someone? He he loves people from you know Hispanics, the black people, all across the board. Let me just share with you the definition <laughs> of racism from okay. Merriam-Webster dictionary. All right, a belief we don't that understand race it. is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Uh -huh. Based on that definition, do you not think what the president has <laughs> no. been saying? No, to these no he dated a black woman for two years. Two of his wives are immigrants. He is not a xenophobic racist. The first the black billionaire is endorsing President Trump. Yeah. How can you call him racist? Okay, so, stop. so stop. I love this. CNN is Jeez. just like, what? I know. What is happening? No. By the definition that you are reading from the dictionary the of race. The answer is no. The answer is no with him and yes on them. Yeah. Yep. Because every white person is bad. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because they the media is doing something amazing here, which is just saying it's racist. Yes. Like if you're Rachel mm. Maddow and you're analyzing this, it's completely fine for you to come up with the idea that you think his motivation is racism. We right? are co- like, we I, are commentators, right? Right. We are commentators. We're trying to figure out what the news means. Right. That's why I said I think Obama is a racist. Well, maybe that's not quite right. He just has a real hatred for the white culture. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't quite God. right either. Remember the days when you couldn't call the president a racist? Oh yeah, right. oh my if God. you did, now, you were the racist. You were the for right. How long was Glenn a racist still, after that? I think the, the you're still the guy who starts out every report with Glenn Beck, the man who once called the president a racist. Like they're all, right, uh, right they're after still, a broadcast where they surely time. have called the president a racist. It's right. just a different president, so it makes it. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that makes Nancy Pelosi a racist because she called this president a racist. Yes, no, I, and, and but the problem is, is that you can have an opinion, but not news people. Right, news people are yep. are stating that these are racist statements and he is a racist for saying that they're not doing what i did i was trying to figure it out you know i feel like right no they're not they're saying he is and And let's play let's play at least one of the things that led us down that path to make us think well there's something wrong here when obama said this what was it because i don't think anybody maybe we don't know Perhaps, when, well, okay, when he said that his grandmother was a typical white oh, yeah. person oh, yeah. who had a reaction to black people bred into her. Hey, that listen. is <laughs> totally racist. So racist. Okay, hang on, play it. She is a uh, typical white person who, uh, you know, if she sees somebody on the street mm-hmm. that she doesn't know, you right. know, there's a reaction that's been bred into. Uh, <laughs> Our experiences so much more racist huh? than anything Donald Trump has tweeted or said in in my to, to my knowledge I I haven't heard him say anything close to that that's as racist uh, a pronouncement as I've ever this heard is, from any president what he's saying is as racist as what he said about crap hole countries and I got news for you uh, they are crap hole countries uh, it doesn't matter if there's white people there or black or brown it's or, cr- a crap hole it's a crap hole it's a crap hole now not doing well. i will tell you that there are crap hole countries run by white people lots of crap hole countries yes. run by white people it is the western ideology that helps pull you out of the crap hole status it's not mm-hmm. whites it's the western judeo-christian society that has brought people out of uh, crap holes. As we are going back into a crap hole, what's driving us there? It's not people of white, black, yellow, red. It doesn't matter. It's the loss of the principles that the West is known for. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, you know, there's this idea that the jur- that journalists are engaging in, like the, like the tough guy journalist position right now is to say, because some people are saying these were racially tinged comments and they're like, oh, if you want to, you have to state the truth. It was racist and you have to say it. That's what journalists are basically goading each other into on Twitter and other places. And it's like they are acting as if the idea to say, hey, if you don't like it, go back to your country is an exclusively racist comment. And like in reality, I can tell you that we have said precisely this exact same thing. I can I remember Pat many times mm. about Piers Morgan. 
Yes! Because Piers Morgan would come in here and he'd a say, white oh, guy, hey, by the way. You, your stupid yeah. constitution allows you to but, oh, you're in your own, have your own guns? That's then dumb. Go back to and you'd Britain. say, then go back to Britain. If yep. you like it there better, then go it, back. Exactly. You have a fundamental problem with everything in our constitution. That is not a fundamentally racist comment. It's a thing about saying that we have principles here and we, our country stands for something. And if you despise and want to fundamentally transform every aspect of it, perhaps you'd enjoy it somewhere else more. Now, Did, let's, let's, let's do let's make sure that we state this when he said leave not racist when he said go back to where you came from you can see that as racist if but again, you, you are applying you are applying you are the apl- motives right yes like you, you are applying the motives you're substituting the motives right there. you're saying that yeah. if he's if he sees somebody that's not white he doesn't think they're american that is not right. donald trump and i would say like that's just just that's just bad speak right look, just isn't the more likely sloppy. answer here is that donald trump knows these four congresswomen loosely he knows of them he's probably heard the well-publicized immigration issues that are major with ilan omar and probably wrongly assumed that they were they were uh, all immigrants now look that is not a good thing for a president to do. But he knows but, AOC is not an immigrant, right? He, he, know, he knows that. Does and he, he doesn't he knows have that. a... Pr- he he sleeps with immigrants. Right. Yeah, no, right. he doesn't have problems. He's, he's having and, sex, uh, we think, with an immigrant. I mean, what do you... What, I mean, what, how is this possible? When Paul McCartney said, get back, get back. Get back to where you once belonged. Did anybody say that was racist? <laughs> I don't think so. That was perfectly fine. When Jer- when when John Lennon sang, uh, "You're waving flags of Chairman Mao," mm. and no one wants that anyhow. Wasn't that the line? That's close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello. Yeah. Hello. This is what they were talking about. The Beatles knew. Exactly the same thing that we need to know now. We don't have the Beatles, but neither do they. Have you noticed they don't have the revolution in music and in art? They don't have that. Right. In, the 60s, in the 60s, they did. Yeah. And it was the Beatles that first turned everything around and went, no, no. You say you want a revolution. I don't think so. And mm-hmm. that's what that turned things. We're at that same point. We just don't have a an iconic uh, soundtrack to to plant the stake at this period of time and saying they've overplayed their hand. And mm-hmm. when the Beatles said "Day Tripper," one way ticket, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was he saying? Okay, I think you're missing. Go the back point. and stay. Go back and stay. <laughs> Go back and, Go back and stay. stay racist. <laughs> the Beatles right. were racist. We discovered it. Yeah. Thank you so much. All did, right. you see, did you see yesterday, by the way, the movie? Yeah. No, I want to really did you bad. Like it, Pat? Did you like it? I liked it too. Liked it. it was really good. Uh, I really want to see it. It looks really good. The promise of the premise. Come back over. Come, Come back over. over. I'm curious on your opinion on this because uh, I, I was, I was. Uh, it's a movie about a guy who basically wakes up one day and realizes that no one on earth has ever heard any of the Beatles songs. Can you imagine how he's great a that singer. would be? Yeah. And he's like, he's they like, don't know the Beatles even existed. Existed. So and he, he can just steal all, all the songs yeah. because uh, he's learned all of them from back in the day. And, and they're all huge hits because the Beatles mm-hmm. had great songs. So mm-hmm. he just starts this career basically built it, building it on all the Beatles songs, but no one else recognizes their Beatles songs. But everybody's blown away every <laughs> time he sings one. Like, 
that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I, I really liked yeah, it. I'm really good. And it did have me when I came. It was home, good. I, I must have listened to 65 consecutive because, Eleanor Rigby remakes. Yes, yeah. because all I wanted to do was hear that song over and over again. Which I, is my I would love to, to have seen. You need if to go, would, Glenn. I think you'd like. You'd I, like I, I know I would. I know I would. I just haven't had time. Uh, I've been going to Broadway shows with I my know. daughters in tuxedos <laughs> for a week. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, the. Um, uh, the thing I think that they missed, and you know, maybe it could be pursued some other time, but I would have liked to seen like just even a fast scene with like Paul McCartney or maybe you should watch a, the movie a Paul McCartney guy who is a plumber. Yeah, you should watch a movie and see what happens. Mm, it's a good movie. Oh, really? It's did, a good movie. I, there, oh, I mean, they, I'm not going to give anything away because that would piss people off. But you should watch the movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, oh, it's wow. A good movie. Okay, like it. all right. Good, it also good. It, it increased my appreciation. For the Beatles, oh. a lot. Because when you when you do listen to those songs, it's like I've been. Oh, it really is amazing. I have been listening to the Beatles yeah. uh, recently a lot. They were. I was never because Pat, you and I are the same generation. They were mm-hmm. jammed down our throat. Yeah, it Which wasn't made me not like them. Right, it wasn't our generations of music. That was the right. generation right before us. Mm-hmm. And so every yeah. time we'd have to play, it, and we always heard over Enough. and over again, "They're the greatest ever!" Like shut up about the beatles <laughs> and hated the beatles for a long time because yeah. it was just everywhere you listen to them now and it's like, like rediscovering yeah, what you're talking about <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah they were kind of good yeah. kind of yeah, good, yeah, kinda good. Yeah. you know if they just listen to us maybe they'd have a career uh, all right uh our sponsor is a relief factor if you got pain relief factor is the thing that you need to take uh relief factor is 100 percent drug free it's created by doctors uh, it has helped my pain immensely. Um, it, it is uh, when I'm when I'm traveling, I don't do well. I don't do well. I don't do well on airplanes. I just I am in so much pain. I I can't take it. Um, but when I'm when I'm here, you know, or when I'm at, at the location, I'm I'm actually able to not have any pain, and I don't have any pain today from relief factor. Relief Factor has truly helped me live my life. Before, I had super pain on airplanes and, and, and high altitudes, and then just a regular just nagging. You, you want to kill yourself today? Do you want to do that? That kind of pain for the rest of the, the, the time. That's all gone. I have good days and bad days, but I have far many more good days than bad days with Relief Factor. Please just try it for three weeks. 800-500-8384. If it doesn't work, stop taking it. 800-500-8384. It's relieffactor.com. You know, I think I think we kind of stumbled onto something here with um, uh, talking about the times that we're in right now. I, I sense... Uh, the end coming, uh, and that could be in 10 years, but I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that we're at a pivot point right now, uh, and we've seen it before. We've seen it before. Do we have that Malcolm X audio? Um, let me play this Malcolm X audio. He's talking about Barry Goldwater and I'm not sure he likes Barry Goldwater an awful lot, but he also doesn't like liberals. Now, listen to what Malcolm X said. Well, if Goldwater ever becomes president, one thing his uh, presence in the White House will do, it will make black people in America have to face up to facts, probably for the first time uh, in many, many years. And this in itself is good. This will have a tendency to make the Negro, probably for the first time, 
uh, do something to stand on his own feet and solve his own problem instead of putting himself in a position to be misled, misused, exploited uh, by the whites who pose as liberals only uh, for the purpose of getting the support of the Negro. So in one sense, uh, Goldwater's coming in will awaken the Negro and it will probably awaken the entire world more so than the world has been awakened since Hitler. <laughs> okay, you know, the last part, you know, might be unfair, but, um, but listen to what he said. He said... If somebody comes in like Barry Goldwater shakes things up, they're going to have to look and say, you know, these are not my friends. I think this is happening. I think this is happening. Now, a lot of African-Americans are silently and some not so silently supporting Donald Trump. So this message from the 1960s is is at least relevant to today, the message that we just were talking about with revolution, you have to remember the Beatles were part of this hippie loving thing. Remember, they were, you know, smoking pot, having incense, going, you know, off to the mountains to find themselves with, you know, gurus, all of these things. They were very at the beginning. They were very much part of the culture, but at the same time, counterculture. And as we got closer to the 1968, 1969, 1970 era, uh, they were very almost counterculture. They were in the, the hippie movement and they kept being asked, will you join the revolution? There was a marker set down because what AOC doesn't have is a music revolution. The hippies back then, they had all the musicians on board. And then the Beatles came out with revolution. And you say you want a revolution. Well, we all want to change the world. But if you want money for people with minds that hate, all I can tell you, brother, is you're going to have to wait. Don't you know it's going to be all right? You say you want to change the Constitution. Well, we all want to change your head. You tell me it's the institution. We better free your mind instead. If you're carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't going to make it with anyone anyhow. Don't you know it's going to be all right? I think we're at this point again. You're listening to Glenn Beck. You can find more top stories on TheBlaze.com. I'm Hillary. That's your four-minute buzz. And now here's Glenn and Stu with more. Oh, so excited uh, to take our cruise through history that's happening next spring. It is going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm excited um, about this. It's going to be great. I'm really excited. Is it true that we're going to watch the Jim Caviezel movie on this now? Is that, yes. That, that's locked in. That's locked in. I, it's semi-locked in that Jim Caviezel is coming. That's I mean, huge. Tim Ballard said he's, he said he's talked to him and he wants to come. So Jim Caviezel, that would be so cool. Jim Caviezel is really an amazing guy. Unfortunately, he's too good of a guy to play along with our pranks. I know. Uh, I just want <laughs> Jesus to walk up on the Temple Mount. Hello, my children. <laughs> he won't. He's not going to do that. Do that. Us, he no. won't do that. No, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately we were going to do some harnesses and have him float above the <laughs> ship at one point, and he's not into it at all. Yeah. He's apparently not. He takes yeah. this whole Jesus thing seriously. Mm. Uh, you know, much to my chagrin, uh, at least for <laughs> just for laughs. Anyway, uh, make sure you join us. Comesailaway.com. It's comesailaway.com. 
Bill O'Reilly's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to see uh, the the Holy Land. We're going to go to Venice and to Athens. Good food. Everything. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Tomorrow is the last day you can get the Early Bird Special where you will uh, save 400 bucks off the price of this trip. Go to ComeSailAway.com. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. A Pulitzer Prize-winning historian has now named Donald Trump the most racist president of all time. But he's tied. He's tied with with another president. So who is fighting Donald Trump for that coveted crown of the most racist president ever? Oh, we'll tell you in 60 seconds. Is the Glenbeck program. This is, this is, don't they get it? This only helps Donald Trump. This only helps him. Maybe that's their goal. Uh, maybe it, it does, is. They act like it's their goal. I know. They just, they don't get how far out of touch they are. They just, we're not, America's not buying into your definition of racism. It's just not. Because it's, I got news for you, a new definition of racism. We all knew what racists were for a very long time. You can spot them a million miles away. Uh, and now you've changed it. Anyway, we'll get into it in a second. First, let me tell you about uh, Simply Safe's. Uh, Simply Safe is uh, reminding you that just 10% of break ins are planned beforehand. Most break ins. 90% are all all revolve around one thing. Somebody seeing a house that doesn't have an alarm system or has an alarm system but doesn't have it engaged. That's when they break into your house. 90% of the time. So, what are you going to do about it? Well, you can get an alarm system and you can pay a buttload of money every single month to have it monitored and you you don't own the system and uh, the system, you know, is hardwired into your house and it's just it's crap. It's crap. It's old school. It's 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 1950s, really. Leave it to Beaver stuff. Now you want the Jetsons? You want something that is way forward thinking? How about a system that calls police and has the police arrive 3.5 times faster than anybody else's alarm system? How about one that is so high tech that it has high definition cameras? So it's not just like a black and white blob that you're looking for. You can see the definition of the people who broke into the house. And that's why police come 3.5 times faster than any other security system that you can buy. How about you get one that's really inexpensive and only costs you 15 bucks a month to have the 24-7 monitoring? Oh, and there's no contracts. Oh, and there's no wiring. Hello? Simply Safe. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there now. SimplySafeBeck.com. You'll get a hundred dollar value of a free HD security camera when you order free. Just go to SimplySafeBeck.com. All right. So let's let's go to a new poll first before we we <laughs> reveal uh, the uh, the most racist president that's that's holding Donald Trump back from being being the most racist president himself ever all time. It's fascinating. I mean, because journalists are using this. Uh, they are saying these comments are racist like they're saying they're in English. 
right? Like it's an absolute fact that everyone understands. Yeah. And anytime you say to anyone that they should go back to another country, that means you're a racist, despite the fact that, of course, you know, we brought up the example of Piers Morgan that we have maybe occasionally mentioned. Eh, Maybe a lot. Our, you know, the fundamental, you know, concepts of our constitution so much, perhaps he would go back to England. Right. And stop bothering us. You racist. Why do you hate white people so much? Exactly. I mean, it's just it's. And, and this is the thing, I think, fundamentally, which ha- what happens with Donald Trump, which is when Donald Trump disagrees with someone, he insults them publicly, right? That is the pattern we all understand. Everyone on earth understands that's what Donald Trump does. When someone says something bad about him, when Justin Amash says something bad about him, he trashes him in public, right? It's only when, like, so everyone, when the person is white, people just say, well, he's just trashing people. He's unpresidential, whatever it is. When it's someone who isn't white, they say the motivation is racism. Now, we all know he, every time someone disagrees with him, he just comes up with some insult against them. But it's always the, the motivation of Donald Trump is applied externally from journalists. And they say every time it happens to be a black person or a Hispanic person, it must be racism. Maxine Waters was the same thing. They tried the same thing with Maxine Waters. So... You know, you can certainly make an argument that you think he's motivated by racism. Make your case. That's fine. Um, however, a journalist should not be just applying this like you're saying well, Donald Trump tweeted something in English yesterday. It's not that, that is not the same thing. You are applying a motivation. You are reading his mind as to what you think caused this problem. And that is not something you're supposed to do as a journalist. But I love this part of this. This is USA Today. today. All right. They do a poll. Now, what is the issue here? What's the problem with these tweets if you are, if you are uh, in the media? What you're saying is, right, that um, Donald Trump is saying the comments made, the criticisms made by these four congresswomen are essentially un-American. They should leave. They're, they're so critical of this country. They hate it so much. They're against America. They're un-American. They should leave, right? That's... That is what he said, and that's what the problem is. They're saying, well, you can't say his critic- the criticism is un-American. How dare you say that? You wanted them to leave? Here is how they, equ- they, they do a poll about Donald Trump's tweets. This is it. President Trump's tweets calling on four Democratic congresswomen to go back to their original countries instead of criticizing the United States were un-American. Do you agree? <laughs> Wait, you, the, whole po- the whole controversy is you're mad at Donald Trump for saying someone else's opinion is un-American. And you poll them asking if Donald Trump's criticisms are un-American. You're doing the exact same thing you're accusing him of. The exact same thing. I am so, every day I become more and more uh, confident that they're just, (laughs) let him go. Let him go. They're just destroying themselves. Yeah. I mean, you just can't care about this stuff, I guess. I I, I do get, when when it comes down to rewriting history, though, I get a little offended. Well, I now mean, you can't, can't say that they're doing that. I can. You, <laughs> a Pulitzer Prize winning historian. Historian. Uh, his name is John Meacham. Uh-huh. He was on MSNBC. Yeah. And uh, he is now saying there's a, num- there's a tie at number one for the most racist president, president in American history. So uh, it's got to be Jackson, Andrew Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, you know, bloody... <laughs> You know, bloody, uh, bloody tears, you know, veil of, or what was it? It's a trail of uh, Mm -hmm. tears, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm, Could be either Jackson. I would vote for Wilson. I knew you would vote for Wilson, of course. So what does he say? Which one? But it was Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson 
was the number one tie. So not Jackson and not Wilson. Andrew, Andrew Johnson? Johnson? Johnson said that in a state message that African Americans were incapable of self-government and relapsed, and relapsed into barbarism if they weren't closely supervised. That sounds pretty darn racist. Uh, but I don't know but if I would wait, put wait, 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 bringing wait. back the KKK in the 20th century. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, Wilson, here's how bad Wilson was. You ready for this? He resegregated the government. Okay. One, let's just put this into, into perspective. I'm not defending Johnson at all. I don't know much about Johnson. He, I know he was the first uh, president to be impeached. He was horrible. I know Abraham Lincoln hated him. Uh, that's as far as I've gone on Johnson. So he might turn out to be a horrible, horrible racist as well. It's my a, guess is. It's a pretty bad comment. Yeah. yeah. My guess is he was. However, put that into the context of, of his time. Okay. One of the things that all abolitionists uh, had to deal with were people who were on their side, but they said, um, they're going to kill us. Okay. How do we, can we, can we put them on ships and send them someplace else? Because uh, we've been really bad to them and they're going to kill us. That was one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other was the more compassionate. They've never had to do anything other than exactly what they've been told for generations. How are they going to build a society and live in a society when we've torn apart their families, when we've 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 put them in these little communities where they have no control? This might be the most cruel thing you could possibly do. So put it into the context of that's what he was maybe saying. He may have been just out and out racist. But the actual argument at the time, which maybe he was just going in for and trying to make it, and he was really an undercover racist, um, and he was only saying this to reflect what thoughtful people were thinking at the time. Uh, But let's compare that. Let's just say that he meant it as their inferior. Woodrow Wilson, this is just one on his hit parade. Woodrow Wilson actually re-segregated the government. Okay, so we weren't segregated. You had postmaster generals and people that were working side by side in the government, black, white, no problem, until Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Woodrow Wilson then re-segregated. But there was one office, and I don't remember what it was. There was one office, it might have been in the mail service, where he couldn't segregate the blacks and the whites. There was this one guy whose job had to be done in this office with all the other whites. Okay? You know this story? I I know where you're going on this one. He built a cage around that employee. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay? He wanted to make sure that that guy was segregated, and so they built a cage for that employee that he had to stay in all the time. I believe they called them screens, Glenn. Oh, yeah. Screens around that employee. Okay. All right. (laughs) To screen the blackness from the other employees. Uh, Also, he he said that segregation is not a humiliation, but a benefit, and ought to be so regarded by you gentlemen. Well, there you go. Oh, it's not a big deal. Now, I think that that's the, what's remarkable about Wilson and why, you know, like, for example, Wilson didn't wasn't uh, as big a government guy as many people who came after him, but he changed. He went against the grain 
right? He was going he, the other direction. Right, and the same thing with race. Like, we were, we were slowly advancing uh, past the racial, you know, horrific mistakes of the past. And he said, you know what? Let me jam on the brakes, throw the thing into an emergency brake, spin the car around and start driving the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. He did it, and he did it as fast as, uh, as you know, you watch in Mission Impossible when Tom Cruise pulls up the handbrake and he's going 60 miles yeah, an hour yeah. and he spins around and he's going the other direction at 60 miles an hour. That's how fast he did it. This guy was an outrage. He's responsible for the reinstitution of the clan. Of the clan. Think about that. The clan goes away and he's like, ah, let's bring it back. Brings into the White House um, the movie that essentially relaunches the clan based on his writings. His book. I mean, like, this is a guy, Wilson to me, uh, blatantly is the most racist president because he so, broke the mold of the time. He, it's, it's, it's a difficult but thing. But he didn't. But he didn't in some ways. In some ways. Well, okay. he was with the certainly the progressive uh, movement at Correct. the time. He was incredibly racist. Correct. But uh, I'll say the, the inertia of the time. Yeah. Right. The, everything was going. The people were going one direction. Mm-hmm. But the 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 brainiacs, the, uh, you know, the leather patch jacket. The people, scientists. The scientists. The academics. Do you know? Do you know what origin of the species? Look this up. Oh, yeah. The real title? Yeah. You told me about this at the museum. Is that the museum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it is the full title of it is uh, a little revealing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Origin of the species. Thank God we have this now. Okay. So let me see if it's even on this. It is. I, I t- when you talked about it the other day, I searched for it. It's, it's uh, Yeah, here I have it here. You have it? Uh, origin of the species. This is the Charles Darwin uh, book, of course. Or the subtitle. Or. Or. Of course, it's a little blurry here. So uh, hold on one second. It's helpful. Thank you, Internet. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, or Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection. Right. Or, or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Okay. So now here, I just want you to put this into perspective. What the founders were saying and, and what people were saying at the time was, look, they don't have a society that we recognize. Okay. We have built this society. They were dumb. They were wrong. And we don't recognize that as as really civilization. I mean, they're living in the jungles and they're they're hunting with spears, blah, 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 blah. So they don't recognize that as at the same level. Remember, this is 200, 300 years ago. So they were having this conversation of, all right, so are they fully developed or not? What is the deal? Lincoln and people like John Quincy Adams and, yes, Thomas Jefferson, they all said, no, 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 they are men, um, but we don't know. Like Jefferson, I don't know what's going to happen if we release them now. We have to have a full plan here. (laughs) Have to have a full plan. Lincoln said they are men, fully men. But then origin of the species happens. And this is where the racists all flock. No, it's scientific proof now mm-hmm. that there is a favored species or a favored uh, race. There was a consensus on. Yes, on it's yes. a consensus. And science is now proving it, that there is a superior race. And in Origin of the Species, basically, he's saying, you know what you should do is just we have to take the Africans and put them back into Africa, put them back in the oven, let them bake a little longer. So they can really become fully human because that's where the monkey image comes from. 
origin of the species. They're not fully human. See, we all evolved from monkeys, but, but they're not there yet. They're not there that yet. That was the argument by Darwin and so many others. In that <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what. That's why uh, Woodrow Wilson, in his book, has all the African Americans look like monkeys. That's all. That's that comes from. And and Donald Trump beats that guy. That's insanity. It's I mean, insanity. Sure. This this historian ought to be ashamed of himself. Absolutely ashamed of himself. If you wear cowboy boots, or if you've always wanted to wear cowboy boots, you know how expensive they can be. The, the cost of custom boots gets crazy, especially here down in Texas. I mean, they can be $12,000 boots. I've seen $12,000 boots before. And they're like, you want a pair? No, I don't want a pair of 12000 What are you, crazy? No. But if you get a pair that is made by hand, I mean, they can be 800, 1200, 1500. I mean, it's nuts. I just want a pair of good cowboy boots. That's all I want. I'd love it if they were handmade. I love that. But I can't afford that. Okay. Now you can. Tacovis Boots. Tacovis Boots makes the traditional style. They never go out of style because this is the traditional American cowboy boot. If you're looking for boots, one that you can wear with a suit or one that you wear under your jeans, which is, by the way, a Texas black tie, jeans, cowboy boots, white shirt, black tie. That's formal wear in Texas. If you want to be able to wear them anywhere for anything you do really they fit really well they are handmade the hand stitching 200 steps to make these boots they are truly high quality all the way along except uh they're about half the price of boots of similar quality or let me put it this way uh they are twice the boot for any boot that is uh, uh of that price range twice the boot it's Tecovas, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash Beck. Go there now. Look at their boots. Order online. You don't like them. You can ship them back. Customer is always right with Tecovas. You can ship them back if you don't like. If you, if you get the wrong size, you can ship them back. That's how they make these boots so affordable is they've cut out the middle mound. It's Tecovas dot com slash Beck. Tecovas dot com slash Beck. Ten seconds. Station ID. Does he make a case? You know, it just kills me. He's not. Is 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 he making a case? I mean, how we does can get the audio of it? I think uh, there's a longer clip of it. I mean, basically, he just mentions in this particular article about it that Johnson also made racist comments. They they don't make a case of as to compare it to Wilson or Jackson. Johnson or slaughtered Jackson. Jackson yeah. slaughtered the Indians. Slaughtered mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Went back on a treaty. Just took their land. How could how could Donald Trump be even even anywhere close to that? It's completely ridiculous and it shows oh you know, this God. constant obsession with Donald Trump from, you know, people like MSNBC and CNN. You know, it is not even just that they hate the guy, it's that they are so obsessed that he dominates their lives. You know, like that is Ugh. you're a Pulitzer Prize winning historian. That is a completely insane viewpoint. 
Right? Like, insane. It's insane. It's insane. He blatantly is not the most racist president. You can say that you don't like the things he says. You can even say that you think he's racist, right? Like, I mean, you know, you can make these arguments if you want to make these arguments. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make the argument and come up with good evidence on it. Um, but the idea that you would compare him to people who brought back the KKK into the White House. People who slaughtered entire races of people. People, people who, who had put, 200 slaves. People who put, yeah, right. People who put uh, an entire race in internment camps during a <laughs> war in, in not that long ago, right? What has Donald Trump done? He's Even if you take every one of his comments at the worst possible way, the worst possible CNN way, right? You're saying, okay, well, he shouldn't have said both sides were equal in Charlottesville. Right. He shouldn't have he shouldn't have assumed a couple of congresswomen were immigrants when they're they're not immigrants. Uh, you know, you could go back to the 80s and find quotes that are pretty nasty. But it's like n- these are not policies. He didn't murder people. He's, he didn't, he uh, has made employment and the lives of blacks and Hispanics better in this country than they've ever been before. Like, why would he do a that? A racist president right. doesn't do <laughs> he that. He wouldn't want to prioritize that. I mean, and go back to, remember, Donald Trump, before he's president, when he's just on The Apprentice, legitimately is one of the most popular cele- white celebrities in America among African Americans. He, he legit, his popularity because of, uh, one of the reasons why The Apprentice lasted so long is his numbers with minorities were so good. They were incredible when it comes to ratings. Um, now it's like you can easily be tempted to believe that historians today that go on MSNBC just think the most racist president is the most recent Republican president. They and that have, is like, it's they embarrassing. They have to, to be able to shame African-Americans into not voting. Yeah. Put your, put yourself back on that plantation because you need your liberal overlords. Sickening. All right. Car shield. Um, look, when something happens to your car, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I was driving my car through a hailstorm, and uh, CarShield didn't cover me on this one. Luckily, uh, my insurance did. Hailstorm, $9,000 to repair my car. $9,000. That seems crazy. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that will happen with your car, especially if you have an older car. If you have a car 5,000, 150,000 miles, and you no longer have warranty on it, God help you, because it looks like everything is made to last about the time the warranty expires. And that can just put you into bankruptcy, practically. I mean, it will put you into a place. It has several times in my life, several times thought, okay, do I buy gas? Uh, Do I fix my car? Or do I eat? Don't put yourself in that situation. Let CarShield help you. Get CarShield. Get their extended coverage now at carshield.com or call 800-CAR-6000, 800-CAR-6000, carshield.com. Make sure you use the promo code BECK and save 10%. Deductible may apply. Remember when Obamacare was supposed to solve all of our health care problems? We look back at the biggest seven lies of Obamacare. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Ezra Levant is uh, joining us. He is the founder of rebelmedia.com, Rebel Media, also the host of Ezra, the Ezra Levant Show. Uh, he's been on the program with us uh, several times. Uh, he was involved in another media group, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with um, a good friend of ours. Anyway, um, I wanted to have Ezra on because there's a story about this guy named Tommy Robinson. 
Tommy is a guy who has been a guy who is speaking out about what's happening in England, especially with this this sex ring that the government of Great Britain has covered up like nobody's business. When you read about this sex ring, even from sources like the BBC, you see wow, is this really bad? And a lot of people are running for cover now. He's being, he's been, uh, he's facing jail time uh, for things that he says, uh, we are not really crimes. He's being politically persecuted. He's asking for uh, asylum here in the United States, wants Donald Trump to, to grant him asylum. I've read all kinds of things, even from the blaze. I read something last week that I read and I thought, wow, that's really bad, but that's not what I've heard from other sources. Uh, And I don't know. I've tried to get Tommy Robinson on this program uh, because I think we just need to ask questions and then hear it from him. I don't trust any anybody or any source anymore. I want to hear it myself. Now, a guy who's been a very good friend of his for a long time is Ezra Levant. So we thought we would get him on the phone and uh, get his look at who Tommy Robinson is. Hi, Ezra. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the opportunity, Glenn. Sure. Tommy Robinson's a really colorful character. I mean, let's be candid. He's he's not the kind of guy that political pundits like you and me are used to dealing with. He grew up uh, very working class in a poor city called Luton. And when he was young, he was a bit of a soccer hooligan. But over the course of time, he's become, I think, unwillingly at first, a political activist as Luton became Islamified through mass immigration. He saw the changes to it. But I think what really animates him these days is a phenomenon we don't have in Canada, the United States yet, thank God. And it's these rape gangs. And this is not like rape as you and I might conceive it. Someone's grabbed into a dark alley, raped, and and then the rapist runs off. These are gangs of men who trick and trap and exploit girls as young as 11. And then they rape them every night for years and for years. And let me give you an example. There's a city called Rotherham in the UK, 250,000 population, small city, 1,400 girls, 1,400 girls were raped continuously for a decade before police prosecuted it. And I know that sounds unthinkable. How could that be? Everyone must have known 1,400 girls in a city of 250,000. How could it go on for a decade? Well, there was a government inquiry into it. And you know what the answer was, Glenn? Because the rapists were overwhelmingly Muslim Pakistani men, no one wanted to talk about it. They were all afraid they'd be called Islamophobic or racist. So social workers, doctors, police, press, politicians, they all they all shut up about it because they thought this rape is pretty bad, but I don't want to be called a racist. Right. And it's, this is very well. This is very well documented. If you're first hearing this, this is very well documented, even by uh, sources that would never uh, want to be called Islamophobe. I mean, BBC has even documented this particular case. It's horrible what's going on. Well. And that's just one city, cities and towns all across the UK. So fast forward to last May, Tommy was standing outside a courthouse in Leeds where a 29 person gang 
was on trial for raping girls as young as 11. And I say again, Glenn, and I know this is hard for your listeners to hear. These girls aren't just raped once. They're raped every night by these gangs of men. And in this case, bizarrely, there were two women who were involved. So the trial was over. Uh, the, the jury had finished their deliberations. It was judgment day. Tommy, who was an independent journalist, he used to work with me before, but then by this point he was independent. He was standing outside the courthouse, live streaming on Facebook, his commentary on this phenomenon. So he was standing outside the court. It was about 8.30 in the morning. And as the accused rapists were going into court, he called out to them and he said this, quote, how do you feel about your verdict today? That's what he said. How do you feel about your verdict today? He didn't swear at them. He didn't insult them. He did not impede their access to the court. He filmed himself saying that. And the three or four men he talked to, they swore at him. They insulted his wife. They insulted his mother. And that's it, Glenn. That's it. And seven police swooped in and you can see this on, on YouTube. They put him in the back of a police van. Okay, so now <laughs> I saw this, and I was perplexed by it. But it is fair to point out that the the English laws are different than the American or Canadian laws. That is against the He knew he was breaking a law by doing that, correct? Well, the thing is, he didn't report on any goings-on in the trial. He didn't know what was going on in the trial. He hadn't been in the trial. Now, I'll come back to your point in, in a second, because that's what they, they said he was in contempt of court. And I've just described what he did. He didn't go into the court. He didn't say what was happening in the trial. He didn't know. He hadn't been in. He was talking about the general phenomenon, and he read out the names of some of the 29 accused, and he read it off of the BBC website and other websites that just that day. He just, he, I, I suppose he assumed if the state broadcaster of the United Kingdom, the BBC, has the names of these 29 accused, and if they're publishing them, he thought he could read them. And in fact, uh, and so he did. I'll, I'll, I'll hurry up my story, Glenn, because I know we're short on time. So he was put in the back of a paddy wagon, taken to the judge in a trial that lasted less than 10 minutes. He was found in contempt of court. He never said a word in this trial, by the way. His live stream was about 75 minutes long. Obviously, the judge didn't review a 75-minute live stream in 10 minutes. Right. They finished this drumhead trial in 10 minutes because it was almost lunchtime, Glenn. It's crazy. And they had to go for lunch. Mm -hmm. And they sent him to prison for a uh, 13-month sentence. Uh, he was the first journalist in nearly a century to be in prison for contempt of court. And guess what? They sent him to a prison with a high Muslim population they moved him from a safe prison where he was in a ward by himself to a very dangerous prison called Onley. So the prison governor said, the warden said, well, you know, I hate to do it to you, but for your own safety, we've got to put you in solitary confinement. Oh, sucks to be you. And so for 10 weeks, he lived in a box for 23 and a half hours a day for contempt of court. Now, we crowdfunded his appeal. The Court of Appeal threw out this conviction, said it was done improperly for about 10 reasons, and freed him from prison. Uh, 
After 10 weeks in solitary confinement, the Court of Appeal said everything about it was improper. But the Attorney General prosecuted him a second time, a do-over for the same offense. And last week, they sent him away for nine months, Glenn. Now, he gets some credit for time served. But right now, Tommy Robinson is in Belmarsh Prison, the special prison for terrorists and murderers. He's in isolation in Belmarsh Prison, serving a portion of a nine-month trial, a nine-month sentence, for doing what I just said he did, for saying, how do you feel about the verdict today? He's in prison, Glenn. All right, so, uh, Ezra, is there any way to speak to him from prison? Uh, people can send him an email. Okay, but he, I don't think an email back. I, I can't, I'm so we visit him on Tuesday, Glenn, and I'll tell him you're interested in talking. But yeah, I, I want to give him a I want to give him a fair trial. And what really bothers me about this uh, is that Facebook now will ban you if you if you are defending him or uh, you know playing anything from him. You will be banned from Facebook. I don't like that. Yeah. I want to make my own decision. Uh, and I've heard some things from his past, etc. And I, I'd like to hear his version. Of, I'm tired of hearing right. secondhand versions. Uh, right. And I would oh, like to give him a fair hearing because if if he's being wronged, it is incumbent upon all of us to to stand up for him. He, he might be a dicey guy that you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a little way this way and a little way that. And people can make their own decisions, but he's being made, he's being disappeared. And well, that can't happen. Is he used to have a million followers on Facebook and nearly a million on Twitter so he could respond to the criticisms of him, but they silenced him. So it's fallen to his surrogates and his friends. Now, Glenn, uh, if you like, I can address some of the criticisms in that Blaze article. They point out that he has a history, uh, going back 15 years, of petty uh, crimes and uh, other offenses. For example, when he was 21, he, was in a, he got into a fistfight with an off-duty cop, and that's always a bad idea. And so he was, he was convicted and sentenced to jail. Absolutely true. When 15 years ago, and, it was, and if you read his autobiography, it was the worst decision of his life, punching that cop. He didn't know it was a cop. So, yeah, um, if Tommy is a flawed man, obviously, as we all are, but I've gotten to know him over the years, and he's a character. And, you know, he's, he's not from the walks of life you and I are from, Glenn. He's very working class, which in the U.K., has a certain meaning. People look down on him and people like him. And that's one of the problems, is that the more posh classes of society in the UK, well, it's not their daughters who are being raped by these grooming gangs. It's the working class indigenous white girls, you know, that that no one cares about. Tommy is a, is a voice for the working class. And yeah, that's going to mean he's not, he's not a perfect, you know, polished you know, he doesn't know which fork, you know, if he dined with. The no, no, no. I, I, you know, I, I didn't understand this until I started working with uh, my uh, new assistant uh, who was one of my protectors for a long time. Uh, his name is Craig Poole, and he is from Scotland and he was working class, working class. And people do not understand the class distinction here in America. We think we do. 
but we really don't. So I, I do get it. I tell you what, um, Ezra, I, I'd love to do a, a podcast where we could address all of these things uh, one by one, uh, because there are some other things that that need explaining uh, and need answers uh, to, uh, because the case it goes both ways. And I don't honestly know what the truth is. If you can line something up with him, I would love to do an extended interview with him where we can go through these. I am not hostile to him. I know the blaze article, but that wasn't written by me. And I don't approve the articles on the blaze. I was on the air that day saying, I don't know which way to go on this guy. And the the blaze decided, well, we do, but I don't know if I agree with him. They brought up some good points, but I also think there's some fair points on the other side that I'd like to hear from him. I'll get your contact info from your producer. I'm going to see him in prison on Tuesday. And if he has the ability to phone out of prison, I will encourage him to talk to you because he's his own best advocate. Uh, And if not, maybe I can write to him and he can write answers back and uh, you can get them to me. That's a really good idea. Okay. Thanks very much, Glenn, for you giving bet. me the chance to make these points. You, you bet. Thank you very much. Ezra Levant. Um, I just don't like it when somebody tells me you can't talk to that person. You can't listen to that person. Don't get anywhere near that point of view. I'm sorry. I'm a thinking person. I have a right to make my own judgments. May turn out this guy's a dirtbag. May turn out he's not. But you have a right to hear his voice, and I have a right to hear his voice, and then each of us have a right to make our own decision. American Financing would like to remind you that it's not too late to buy a home. In fact, it may be the perfect time to buy with interest rates dropping and summer goes on. Sellers are more open to negotiation, and you might even get a, a better deal. Uh, I'm thinking about refinancing uh, my house. Uh, we've had my house up for sale for a while. And uh, this, the market for my house is just really soft. Neighbor, two, three neighbors just took baths on their house. Uh, and eh, I'm not willing to do that. So I'm thinking about refinancing and uh, pouring some of the money in uh, back in and uh, updating my house. That might be the situation you're in. Maybe you want to live there. I'm fine. I just want to update the house. So how can you do that? American Financing. AmericanFinancing.net or call 800-906-2440. AmericanFinancing.net. While you're buying a new home, you're refinancing, you're consolidating your loans, AmericanFinancing.net can help you. They're helping me. 800-906-2440. 800-906-2440. AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, so I'm going to tell you a story of baseball. This is one of the greatest stories of of baseball I've ever heard. And it has really nothing to do with baseball, except the guy is now the senior uh, director of grounds for the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park. This guy's story is absolutely incredible. There is a new book, and I I will tell you, years ago, I bought the rights to his uh, book and his life story, and we never got around to it. And I felt so bad because I'm like, this story has to be heard. I released the rights uh, and gave them back to him. And the book is One Base at a Time. It is 
truly an, a remarkable inspirational story about baseball that you have not heard before. We're going to share it next. I'm Hillary. That's your four minute buzz. And now here's Glenn and Stu at the last hour of our show. We have really uh, just a cool, cool interview uh, coming up that you're really going to enjoy coming up in just a second. First, 50 million people miss work due to pain and people spend anywhere, you know, a thousand to three thousand, five thousand dollars every single year to combat their pain. Sixty six percent believe they're just never going to get out of pain. I was one of those guys. Please just try this. I've never I feel like begging you if you're in pain. I really do feel every day like begging you. Please try this. My wife, she had the power of, you know, you're going to try this or I'm not listening to you anymore. And so I tried it. Um, I want you to try relief factor. I tried it. It has worked for me. It's almost two years running now. I take it every day. It has totally changed my life. Call 800-500-8384. It is 100% drug-free, created by doctors. It reduces our inflammation, which is key. 800-500-8384. Just try it for three weeks. They have a quick start. It's 1995. Doesn't work? You're out 1995. It does? You get your life back. It's relieffactor.com. 70% of the people who try it go on month after month to order more, as do I. Relieffactor.com. Okay, I'm a pretty big whiner, all right? But we we are living now in a world where everybody is whining. Oh, You're going to hear from a guy here in a second that is the exact opposite of an incredible whiner. He's the most optimistic. And when you hear his story, you will never whine again. Also, I'm not going to tell you up front what he's responsible for. But if you're a sports fan... You have seen his work, and you most likely have gone, wow, that's really cool. I don't want to tell you what he accomplished until the end of his story, and I want him to tell it. It's based on a new book called One Base at a Time, one of baseball's most inspirational stories. It is really, really inspirational and amazing, and we begin in one minute. This is the Glenn Beck program. So I found out earlier today, Stu's never adjusted the back of his chair. My ex chair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it came and you sat it down in front of me and I sat down and you said, you kept talking about the adjustments, but I was like, it's just comfortable the way I'm sitting in it. So right. I didn't need to adjust it. And then I said, mm-hmm. you know, you can adjust the lumbar here. It's, it's like this. And I did it. And st- I saw Stu look across the table at me like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> he had never adjusted it. And then you're like, well, what? And you can also do this with the seat. And it kind of like moves the, the seat a little bit in mm-hmm. and out, which I've yeah. never actually seen on a chair in my entire life, uh, the way it moves. Yeah. And I did that too. And now it's even better. <laughs> I so probably should been, have listened to you. He's been raving some... about this chair, but he, he had it at <laughs> factory settings, mm-hmm. which is insane. <laughs> insane. The most adjustable chair ever. It's got 10 different adjustments. And he never adjusted it, and he was—he's felt the same way. Look, I know when I know when Stu's BSed me, and he's like, "Oh no, it's great." Mm-hmm. That's usually what I hear about every show from him. Oh yeah, it's great. And I and I know when he's sincere. He's loved this chair. He didn't even adjust it. And the big selling point mm-hmm. is it will adjust specifically to your body. Well, I was initially using my lying voice 
but I got over that. And now <laughs> right, right. here's my truthful voice. No, uh, I mean, it is a comfortable chair, even if it's not adjusted to you. But once you discover, whoa, I can adjust it, it's even better. Try the X chair now, 844-4X-CHAIR, 844-4X-CHAIR, or go and see all of the different X chairs. They have the X chair basic, the X1 through the X4. You can get it in mesh and leather and everything else. It'll fit your body. It will fit your budget. It's xchairbeck.com. Get $100 off right now, xchairbeck.com. Use the promo code XWHEELS, and they'll upgrade the wheels on the bottom of the chair, which are a great upgrade. It's xchairbeck.com. Now I speak my mind. This is one of the keys in this story is is actually saying things out loud uh, there. It, it, it helps. It solves a lot of problems. Uh, David Mellor is the author of the new book, One Base at a Time. It is one of my favorite stories. In fact, years ago, we we bought this story. We were going to do a book and, and other things with it because I just find it so inspirational. We never got around to it, and I was feeling so guilty. Uh, I'm like, you got to hear this story. So he, he wrote the book, One Base at a Time. I now don't get a dime off it, um, <laughs> but I want to promote it because it's one of the best stories I've ever heard. Uh, David, welcome to the program. How are you? Great morning to you, Mr. Beck. Thank uh, you so much for you all bet. your support. You bet. You bet. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get to this point. Um, I, I want you to tell the story, and don't jump ahead. I want you to really lay the story out uh, and and start with you when you're you're young and you, you want to be a, a Major League Baseball pitcher. Yes, sir. Um, you know, my dream was to make it to the majors. My grandfather played in uh, the majors in 1902. And my dream was to follow in his footsteps. I played baseball uh, throughout high school and had opportunities to play baseball in college with scholarships. And a month after I got out of high school, I was walking into a McDonald's restaurant and uh, a car pulled in off the side of the sidewalk off the street and stopped and they got out and changed drivers. So I stopped and uh, while they changed drivers, I waited for them. They got back in the car, and I motioned for them to go ahead and drive. And they motioned for me to start walking. And so uh, I started walking, and I heard them rev their engine and squeal their tires. So I had time to turn and look, and the car was speeding toward me. And I raised my left hand, and my left leg in the car hit me, threw me 20 feet in the air. And I slammed into the brick wall right where the door jutted out at McDonald's. And as soon as I looked up, the car was speeding at a higher rate of speed and hit me a second time, pinning the handrail and the car bumper against my knee against the wall. Oh, my gosh. What? What? Who were these guys? Well, this this lady said she stepped on the gas instead of the brake. And uh, she, uh, you know, it was... It, literally one of those moments where you know your life flashes in front of your eyes you know i thought not only is my leg crushed i thought my dreams were crushed because 
you know, I grew up a Red Sox fanatic. My dream was to, to make it to the majors and someday stand on Fenway Park's mound. You know, I thought at the time I would, you know, go to college on a scholarship, study some kind of business in school, and I didn't even know what that meant. I just hoped I would get drafted and, and make it to the majors. And when I was hit, it literally uh, was a, a moment that at first I, I became, you know, a, a really upset, angry 18-year-old kid. And, and my dad died when I was three, and my mom and two brothers helped raise me. And they inspired me throughout my life that adversity makes you stronger. And they inspired me to look at that moment as an opportunity and a learning opportunity, inspired me to find a career that I would love to do. So and not dwell. Go, yes, sir. Go ahead and not dwell on the past. But let me let me go before you before you move forward. How many surgeries did you have to have? What did the doctors say when you were taken? And and, and well, this woman didn't pay any price. I would imagine she didn't go to jail or anything. No, sir. She did not go to jail. Okay. Um, she was a uh, she was a part time stripper. Um, she did not have uh, uh, insurance. Um, oh my god. They. Uh, um, I, I walked on crutches for two and a half years. I walked with a cane for 10 months, uh, during physical therapy, had a horrific injury in physical therapy. Um, I've actually had 45 surgeries and I figure that's better than 46. Um, been hit by a car three times and figure that's better than four. I, I wait, think wait, I'm one of the wait, 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 you just drop these things out. <laughs> you just drop these things out. You've been hit. The first time. When were you hit a second time? Well, the second time was actually at McDonald's. The car came at a higher rate of speed. Wait, oh, wait. Like that's the same Okay, incident. okay, that's the same incident. Okay, mm-hmm. so you were hit there. The same then you yes, were hit sir. a second time. Okay, the third time then, you were hit. Yes, sir. I was working for the Milwaukee Brewers in 1995, and we had uh, uh, just taken all the sod off of the, of the field at County Stadium and and graded all the the topsoil and we were waiting for the sod to arrive and i heard a car behind the bleachers and i was out in the left field area near where the left fielder stood raking around an irrigation head and because of uh the car accident i was very hypersensitive to car noises and <laughs> i heard this car and i thought that's odd why do i hear a car and i turned around there was a field entrance gate behind the left fielder's position and when I looked, there was a car coming from behind the bleachers toward the field. So I ran over to where the warning track met the open field gate and put my arms up. And the lady uh, smiled as big as she could and stepped on the gas and came right at me and hit me. And I hit the windshield and landed in a pile at the base of the outfield wall pads at the, gate, at the open gate. And she Whoa. went speeding down the warning track, following the curve of the track, she was going so fast when she went behind home plate that she made a dust cloud, kind of a rooster's tail, throwing track material 10 rows up into the stands. And a couple of the groundskeepers came over to ask me what they could do to help. And I, I asked them to call 911. And behind the bleachers, we had big steel security gates. So I asked them to close those up so she couldn't get away. And as I was laying on the track, she made a full lap around the field and, and instead of following the curve of the grass as she had before, as she got closer to me, she veered and started aiming right at me. Oh dear God. I thought 
I thought, oh my gosh, she's literally going to run me over again. And at the last minute, she swerved to miss me and slammed on the brakes and stopped right beside me, sat up in her seat, waved excessively at me, smiling, and then stepped on the gas, sat back down, stepped on the gas and peeled out, covered me in track material and drove through the gate behind the bleachers. Okay, okay, all right. Before we get into this, please tell me she went to jail. Well, um, she was, uh, (laughs) she did not go to jail. She went to a mental hospital. Um, You know, I pulled myself up against the wall pads and got behind the bleachers and she was out of her car screaming at the guard to let her out. And every other word was a, a cuss word. And I noticed her car was still running. And so I went over and took the keys out of her ignition and she came over and, and yelling and cussing and spitting in my face to give her her keys. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't do that. So she got in her car and locked the doors. And when the deputies came, I gave them the keys. And when they unlocked the door, she tried to stab the deputies. Jeez. And they got her out of the car and put her in the back of a squad car and asked her why she was there. And she said she was there to do a stunt for a movie. Huh. And uh, as a result, they took her to the county mental hospital instead of the instead yeah. of the jail. Okay. This was on a Thursday. And on Sunday evening, I received a phone call. Uh, they would like me to come testify. Otherwise, they were going to let her go on Sunday. So when I went to the, court, the hospital, mental hospital on Monday, there was regular courtroom in the hospital. Her attorney was there. And she waived her rights to appear in person. She was in a straitjacket in her own in her room. And the deputy testified, I testified, and the doctor testified that she had a past history with mental illness. Nineteen ninety one, she arrested she was arrested in Florida for stalking Julio Iglesias. Nineteen ninety three, she was arrested on international charges, threatening the Queen of England. And the night before she did this at County Stadium. She had tried to assault Oprah in Chicago, but she got away. But Oprah's security staff got a picture of her in her license plate. But because of her rights as a mental patient in the state of Wisconsin, all they could do is sign her up for a retest of her driver's license. Oh, my And oh my she gosh. got to pick the date and the time of the test. Oh my and the doctor said if she took her medicine in the morning, she'd be able to pass the test in the afternoon. Okay, so David, I'm going to take a rest here for just a second because your story is not done and it becomes really uh, hopeful here soon. Not too soon, but soon. Uh, and you have to hear this. It is um, His story is written in a new book now called One Base at a Time. It is truly a great book if you're a baseball lover, if you're... If, if you're anybody who has ever had any problems or PTSD, imagine the PTSD this guy's had. You would be, I mean, just the the movie poster for Christine would have made me wet my pants. Um, but we'll continue his story here in just a second, in one minute. Stand by. Okay, so I've been excited about this cruise that we're going to be taking next year. I've been excited since we started talking about it I, I now i'm just and now i can't wait to go uh and i think there's more people that are going to be joining us i mean it's like these yesterday or day before yesterday we found out jesus was going to join us uh or at least the guy at least the guy who played jesus in uh in passion of the christ he's a, a good friend we actually went to school together 
uh, in grade school. And uh, he's coming because he's starring in a new movie about Tim Ballard from Operation Underground Railroad. Tim is coming, but that's the week after they release a movie starring Jim Caviezel as Tim Ballard. And so Tim was like, hey, do you want to bring the movie on? We could watch it on the ship. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, how do you feel about Jim Caviezel coming? And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, we are going to the Holy Land. Who doesn't want to pal around with Jesus in the Holy Land? Uh, anyway, so this is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Bill O'Reilly is going to be there. I'll be there. Rabbi Lappin, uh, David Barton, do for some reason thank you uh it, it's all inclusive including the airfare gratuities this is your last week to save four hundred dollars they have the early bird special and it's four hundred dollars off this package and it ends on friday so you have to do it this week get all of the details come sailaway.com that's come sailaway.com we break for 10 seconds station id Now, the reason why I love uh, the story in one base at a time is because, A, it's true. Uh, B, it just makes you feel like a big fat weenie whenever you complain about stuff, uh, which I need help on from time to time. Uh, But also the optimism. And I I just want to show you this pattern and ask if you could be optimistic. So he's he's hit by a car twice in a McDonald's parking lot. Then uh, he's hit a second time uh, on a field uh, in Milwaukee uh, by a crazy woman. Imagine the PSD alone had to be crazy. The nightmares and the the paranoia of cars. Am I right, David? Yes, sir. Uh, I had five uh, vivid lifelike nightmares every night for 29 years. It was uh, so bad that I was scared to go to sleep at night. I knew just as the sun was going to go down every night that I was going to have a nightmare. It was just a question of how many. And you'd have and, uh, you would have up to five a night about getting hit by a car? Yes, sir. How uh, paralyzing was car, that? It, it was, it, it, it literally, I, I would sleep with the TV on both when I had roommates in college and then when I got married. Then when my daughters were born, so that when I would scream out at night, if anyone said anything, I would try to blame the TV for the noises. You didn't and even tell night- your you didn't even tell your wife. No, sir. I, I rehearsed before before I asked my wife to marry me, before we were married, before our daughters were born, I would rehearse out loud in the car driving back and forth to college classes to work trying to find the right words to describe all the symptoms that were inside of me. And, you know, during the day I would have flashbacks if I heard revving engines, smelled car exhaust, if I heard squealing tires. I would even have flashbacks at times could be triggered by the smell of McDonald's French fries. Oh, my gosh. And I had no idea what was causing these symptoms. I just thought it was a burden didn't that I had to carry. Didn't any and, professional, any medical professional who had to look at your chart, did they ever say, hey, you might want to talk to somebody? No, sir. No one ever said anything to my mom or my wife or to me. And luckily, um, 
you know, I'm a big believer in a positive attitude and that things happen for a reason. And really think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world. And on my brother's birthday in September 23rd in 2010, I was having acupuncture treatment uh, for pain management. And before treatment, there was a table, must have had 50 magazines on it. And before I laid down, I just happened to pick up a Smithsonian magazine. And there was a, uh, uh, when I opened it up, there was a first page I turned to was about a new treatment facility about uh, for veterans dealing with post-traumatic stress um, out West. And at the time, my daughter was interning at a wonderful program here at Mass General that the Red Sox started with Mass General called the Home Base Program. So I thought I would read the article to learn about more about what my daughter was doing. And so I laid down and we started the treatment and the first paragraph listed 12 symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And as I started reading them, chills went through my body and tears started pouring down my face. And it scared the heck out of me because I realized I either actively had or had dealt with 10 of the 12 symptoms. The only ones I did not have or had dealt with were suicide and drug use. And it, it scared me, but it gave me hope. Yeah. It gave me hope that if I had PTSD and was diagnosed with it and could go through counseling, that hopefully I could be a better, better husband and I could be a better dad. And if that was the case, and if it helped me, it was a bonus. Now, I, wa- so, I, I want to bring you back to, to one thing that you said just a minute ago, um, because it'll, it ties in to a, a pretty big event in your life later. You found this on your brother's birthday. But about, what, four or five years before, your brother had died. Yes, sir. My brother was was not only my my brother, but he helped raise me and was my mentor, my best friend. Uh, He was like a second father to my daughters. And uh, in July of 1998, uh, he lived on a, uh, he and his wife lived on a beautiful lake south of Milwaukee. And we had gone down when we were living in Milwaukee, went down and spent a wonderful weekend with him and and we said our normal goodbyes of I'll see you later. And on Tuesday, my sister-in-law called that e- Tuesday evening and said, Terry's gone. And I said, where did he go? And she said he had passed away. And there was just so, it felt like my world had crashed down around me. There were so many things I wish I had told him. How okay. much I loved him, thanked him for his mentoring, his sacrifices. And I just got caught up. All right, so I want to now turn this to the incredible miracle of David's life. And you've heard now the down. Now let me show you the up. The name of the book is One Base at a Time. You'll understand that in a minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picky uh and um i'm picky with my wardrobe and you know what i wear and everybody makes fun of me because i just have my own sense of style uh however i love cowboy boots i love them i never thought i would wear them until i lived in texas and then i wanted to wear them just to piss people off you know that just think texas sucks uh i never thought i would find them comfortable i love them and I get I get my boots from uh, Tecovis. Now, Tecovis is a way where you can buy these boots that are twice, twice the price if you buy them in a store. 
You can buy them. They're handmade. They're hand-stitched. 200 steps to make these boots. They fit right the first time. Only the highest quality leather. But you're going to get them at about half the price because they've cut out the middleman and you order them online. It's easy and accurate. Free shipping, free returns. The ordering is risk-free. You got the wrong size, just send them back. No big deal. They're great boots that feel great at a great price. It's Tecovas, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash Beck. Go to blazetv.com slash Glenn, sign up, get 10 bucks off. Tonight we have part two of the biggest lies of Obamacare. Watch tonight at 5. They are big. There's a new book out that I want you to pick up and read. It is, it's just a nonstop thrill ride. It really is, but it is, it's true. Uh, And it's, uh, its title is One Base at a Time. uh, And it's written by David Mellor. And you know who Dave, you may not know who David is, but I can guarantee if you're a sports fan, you know David's work. And at some point you went, wow, that is really cool. Uh, I'll get to that at the very end. But I want to I, I, I want to just recap real quick. Hit by a car. Uh, just wanted to be at Fenway. Just really wanted to be a Red Sox pitcher. He's in high school. He's hit by a car twice. Then he's hit by another car. Years later, he marries. He has 40 plus surgeries. Uh, he's a mess. PS, uh, PTSD. He's not getting treatment for it. He's starting to drink. He gets a job at Fenway. Uh, and he is you're the assistant groundskeeper, correct? Uh, well, I was in Milwaukee, yes, sir. Milwaukee, but who's uh, Joe Mooney? He was uh, who's Joe Mooney? Joe Mooney was the head groundskeeper in at Boston for thirty years. Okay, and in the in the fall of two thousand, Mr. Mooney called me and said, "David, I'm thinking about retiring, but I'll only retire if you replace me." And that was when I was with the Brewers, and I grew up a Red Sox fanatic, and so to have the opportunity, to, it was always be an honor to be in the majors. And to have the opportunity to come to Fenway was even more special. So you go there, and you're just starting your gig, and you blow out your back pulling some hoses. And your doctor says, I've done about 4,000 MRIs, and uh, yours is the biggest and the worst I've ever seen, of course. Yes, yes, sir. You now have to have a a lazy boy chair in your bedroom. You, you, You have surgery, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And now you're feeling guilty. You still haven't told your wife about the night terrors. And you're feeling guilty now because you're not even able to sleep in the bed with your wife and reach out and hug her. Uh, and you start to drink. How bad is your drinking problem? Well, you know, I would, I would go home. You know, I never drank when the team was in town. And, but I, and I didn't drink and drive. But I would go home when the team was away or in the offseason and have dinner with my family. And then I would go down to the basement, watch TV, and drink beer. And I wasn't drinking to get drunk, but I was drinking with the hope that maybe my nightmares wouldn't be as bad. And my reasoning mm-hmm. was that hopefully I would be better the next day. And then you got and you were in so, you were in so much pain while you were at work. They had you on so much medication that you were afraid to drive because you were afraid you were going to fall asleep behind the wheel. They put me on a muscle relaxer. Yes, sir. After my, uh, I've had 12 back surgeries and four fusions. And after one of my surgeries, they put me on some muscle relaxers. And after a game driving home, uh, I did fall asleep. And the car started to go off the road. And 
luckily the noise from the gravel woke me up before I struck a tree and uh, I slammed on the brakes and got out of the car and called my coworker. And, uh, you know, my heart was pounding out of my throat as I walked back and forth, uh, scared to death how, you know, I only had maybe two miles to drive home and how was I going to get home? And, uh, luckily talking to him, I was able to get home and called my doctor the next day and said, doc, I got to get off this, this, this muscle relaxer. I can barely function. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to take you to a couple of places. Um, uh, I want to take you to your dog. Your brother had died in 1998. Brother said, if I ever die, I'm coming back as a dog. When did, sure. when did you adopt your dog? Well, Drago came into my life uh, on May 9th, 2014, and uh, he's my service dog. He's trained and tasked to help me with mobility as well as post-traumatic stress. And uh, other than my wife, he's my best friend. And the day after he came into my life, we took him to the vet for his first checkup, and the vet ran the scanner down his back to check on his microchip. And when they did, uh, it turns out Drago has the same birthday as my brother. How cool and, is that? I mean, it just gave gave us chills. Yeah. My wife and I looked at each other, and literally, our eyes—I have tears in my eyes telling you this now. It, it just. My brother had told us for years, someday after I die, I'm going to come back as your dog, and huh. I didn't think anything of it. I thought my brother was healthy, and I didn't have a service dog at the time. We just grew up loving dogs, and this is just, you know, I, I believe things happen for a reason, and it makes Drago's bond with me even more powerful. All right, so now let's get to the point to where, how would people know you? How, how do people know you or your work, David? Well, I'm, I'm the head groundskeeper for the Boston Red Sox. And so when people see the field, uh, I'm part of the team that helps care for the field. And so you'll see the work that my, my colleagues and I do in the background. So you may notice, uh, you know, if the field's playing well, hopefully uh, you'll see that. And you may see the work from the, the mowing patterns that we do also. Uh, the grass patterns, whether it's the Sox logo or the Be Strong logo that we did after the marathon bombing or the American, American flag, flag is amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. Did you, did it, was that your baby or how did that, how did that come about? Because now it's, it's everywhere. Well, you know, uh, the first mower was built in 1830. And so patterns have been around since the first mower, any mower will make a pattern in the grass with its tires and its blade. Sure. But our, our mowers have rollers on them. So, a light stripe goes away from you and a dark stripe comes towards you. So patterns can be as traditional as a checkerboard or something festive like a socks logo. Um, certainly my brother taught me from a young age on to take uh, pride in the aesthetics of the patterns. And I realized whether it was in college when I worked at uh, Scioto Country Club where Jack Nicholas grew up or when I started working for the Milwaukee Brewers um, to take pride in the work and the, uh, you know, safety and playability is always our first priority, but I think you have one opportunity to make a first impression, whether it's your home lawn, a corporate green space, or uh, athletic field. So we take pride in that, and, and uh, like I say, it's a lot of teamwork, so I'm fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of help. So, David, on this amazing journey, what's the message that you are dying for people to hear? 
Well, uh, we want to make sure people know that uh, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's a sign of strength. You know, I suffered in silence for 29 years thinking it was a sign of weakness to ask for help. Wow. And I kept all these raw, buried emotions deeply inside, and they festered and became worse. And after I read that article, you know, I also had no idea. Um, you know, we all face challenges in our lives, whether they're physical or emotional challenges. And I didn't realize that. I just thought I was kind of going through things myself. And mm-hmm. Didn't really feel sorry for myself. I just thought it was a burden I had to carry. And I also had no idea someone could get post-traumatic stress other than a veteran. And now I know anyone can get PTSD from a life-threatening trauma. In fact, one of the leading causes in men are car crashes in America. And so we want to help break the stigma of asking for help to let people know it's a sign of strength to ask for help. We also want to bring awareness to service dogs and how life-changing and incredible they are. Uh, you know, I honestly think I'm one of the most lucky people, luckiest people in the world. And we want people to celebrate life every day because just like when my brother suddenly passed away, I mean, I, I had had a lot of traumas in my life and things happened quickly. And yet I missed my opportunity to tell my brother how important he was and thank him for his sacrifices and his love. And we want people to celebrate life every day so they don't miss that opportunity. I mean, things happen quickly. I mean, just two years ago, I was flying on a domestic airline and the luggage compartment door came disconnected, slammed me in the head and shoulder. I'm still dealing with a severe concussion and a dislocated clavicle that I've had two surgeries from. You just never know when something can happen. You're like so Jerry important. Lewis without the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think every opportunity is a learning opportunity. Yeah. And it's just important to celebrate every day and tell those people around you how important they are and thank them, whether they're coworkers or your loved ones, and just make that opportunity the best you can and just celebrate life. David, uh, I just love you and love your story, and we're thrilled that you would join us today and tell it. Thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Beck. I, I truly appreciate your support. And no, no. It goes back to 2013, and ever since, I just yeah. truly appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and you bet. everything you've done for me. You bet. David, thank you so much. David Mellor. Yep. Uh, you can find him at davidrmellor.com. That's M-E-L-L-O-R. Um, and the name of the book is One Base at a Time. It is, I mean, he makes cutting the grass interesting. He really does. I'm not a sports fan. I'm not a cutting the grass fan. But just reading just a few of the pages where he talks about being out on, on Fenway Park and, and how, the, how, the, how the baseball field is shaped in ways that you and I don't ever see. But if you're a groundskeeper or you're a player on the field, you see the shape of it. And it's very different than other ball fields. And it just, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. Yeah. And we have, I mean, so many uh, military people in our audience that have gone through these types of things and, and not just military, but for all different reasons. This is a story of like actually being able to admit uh, that you, that these things have happened to you and that you need help and a way to, you know, a path to overcome a lot of the difficulties that, I mean, we've talked to so many people over the years that have dealt with similar things, particularly from service overseas. And I mean, at times I think it feels hopeless, uh, but this, there's a real hope in this book. 
it's it, I'm excited that this is finally out there because we've been talking about it for so long and it's such a great message. Yeah, we I, I bought the rights to this story years ago, 2013, and just never got around. And I just and David was so patient and he was like, you know, are we going to? And I'm like, yeah, not this year. And finally, a couple of years ago, I just said, David, just take it back. I just do. It has to be told. Yeah. Uh, and it's just I bought it because it's the it's the it's the best story you could hear. It's just such an inspirational story. Uh, it's called one base at a time. One more thing on this. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but when he was saying, um, you know, call somebody and tell them that you love them. Don't miss out. I was going through my head on who do I need to call today? If you had that feeling, please do it right now. Do it right now. Cause if you miss this moment, uh, you probably won't come back to it. So whoever it was that you were thinking or whatever you were thinking, do it right now. All right. Uh, our sponsor this half hour is Mine was a uh, 1-900 number. Is that weird? Not even going <laughs> to. Uh, is Goldline. Uh, listen, here's the thing. If you look at history, we are now at the longest sustained recovery in history if you if you know history you also know that that doesn't always end that way i mean it it comes back down it has to it is the contractive wave it it's part of economic science i'm hoping that things continue to stay really stable um up to the up through the election because i think it has political implications but because of that, I also don't believe that there aren't people around that would like to see this thing crash because of political Im- implications. Please, please consider calling Goldline right now. 866-GOLDLINE. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Have just something off to the side that is not in dollars, in paper dollars. Paper's worth nothing. Make sure you have something that in case there's a crash, you don't completely crash out. Call Goldline for all of the information. Just talk to them about, you know, how you can invest through your 401k or IRA. Um, but just get the information right now. Please call Goldline. 1-866-GOLDLINE. Put yourself in, in a stable situation in case the world goes unstable. It's goldline.com or call them now, 866-GOLDLINE. You're listening to Glenn Beck. So AOC, who definitely loves America, uh, is now, uh, she better change her ways because Prince Charles, who also really loves humanity, uh, he's come out with a new warning and... We now only have 18 months to survive. That's true. Only 18 months to survive um, because the 18 months will decide our ability to keep climate change to survivable levels Mm -hmm. and to restore nature to the equilibrium we need Mm -hmm. for for our survival. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this comes off the heels of in 2015. He said we had 35 more years to make that Changed. Well, things have changed. Right. Things have changed. Now, that had know. happened on the heels of 2009 when he said there was 100 months mm-hmm. well, uh, things to make have the changed. change. The things have changed. That we uh, really since need. Then, so. Yeah. Well, he said the air. Uh, he said the. Um, well, it was actually technically only 96 months. I, I 96 months. Because that four months. 
You yeah, that well, could be the line right yeah, there. Yeah, I like to round up, so I understand <laughs> that. Um, also, uh, there was another one uh, that he did back in 2014, mm-hmm. and um, we get these kind of every... But, this is the great thing about the climate change issue, is that at the end of any deadline, you, you can just one. say there's a new deadline, new and deadline. no one ever calls you on it because that would be Amen. hateful for the earth. Correct. So, like, you're always right with the climate. Always. Until you say you were wrong. So, like, when you say, like, hey, like, you know, we now understand the Earth, we have complete consensus, and then you release a report from the UN and you say, oh, ah, the the oceans, they they absorb a lot more heat than we realized. That's just, you're right both times. Right. It wasn't that you were wrong before, and now maybe we should judge your new predictions uh, with (laughs) some skepticism. No, you were right before, and now you're saying you're right again, and only you are allowed to tell people that you're right, so you're always right. (laughs) I like these people who are putting these dire predictions down uh, and, and... uh, and, and they're not making them longer. Like yeah. if you did, you know, 100 months. Okay, then I learned my lesson. You've got 36 years. All right, I learned my lesson. Four days. 36, 36 <laughs> years is not up yet, dude. What are you doing with the 18 months? We'll see you in 18 months, and you're going to adjust it again. Thank you very much, Prince Charles. Good things. It's a really good thing that humans have brains. Now, if we would just engage them... All would be well. This is the Glenn Beck Program.